Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. How's everyone do feeling this morning? Okay, not bad. How many of you, okay, be honest. This is church, you gotta be honest. How many of you guys wish you were in bed just a little bit? Okay, I wish, okay, when I woke up this morning, I felt like I had, like, missed the bus, and it's been, like, 11 years since I've been in high school, and I was homeschooled, so I, uh, I feel like it was, I was very off this morning. Um, so, cool, I'm super glad we're all get together, get together today, even though we're dealing with a time change, um, but if you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, Luke chapter 15. My name is uh, Pastor Davis. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Corner, and I love being able to open God's Word together. Actually, before we do that, uh, I have an announcement um, that came in this morning. Uh, how many of you guys remember last week when we talked about baby Eliza with, uh, over in Ethiopia? Okay, quite a few of you. We have a quick update we wanted to share this morning. Uh, here is what we got. Baby Eliza is alive this morning. Uh, Wanda is tracking down doctors for any help, and the plan is to get to India this week. This is a tender and stressful time, and we need God to sustain Eliza. Wanda and Gannett are heading back to see them and offer Bible readings to pray over Eliza. So uh, be praying for the situation. So uh, something about Africa that uh, probably most of us don't uh, really realize is take the amount of time it takes anything to do here and multiply it by like four. <laughs> That is what living in Africa is like. Uh, it's just take, everything takes a lot longer there. It's just there's always complications. Um, when, we, when, we, when we lived in Africa and something didn't go our way, everybody would say, Wawa, which basically means West Africa wins again. Okay? Uh, that's just, that was always something you just said because you always expect interruptions. So pray for the situation. Uh, she is uh, needing um, some major surgery on her heart. So uh, pray for her to be able to get over to India, that God will sustain her in this process. And this is going to be an awesome uh, evangelistic thing for her and her family as they go through this together. So let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles here. Uh, we've been in Luke 15. Today we're actually going to be looking through most of the entire chapter, although we'll be focusing in on verses 11 through 32, mostly this morning. And what we've been talking about throughout our Mosaic series, we sometimes have a video that will play at the beginning, we've been talking about who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy that we talk about? Because there's a lot of people in our world today that have a lot of opinions about Jesus, but who did Jesus actually claim to be? Who did Jesus actually say he was? And today, we unfold that just a little bit further. So look down at your text here. We'll start in verse 11 this morning. It says this. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me my share of property that's coming to me. And the father divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him 
anything. Let's pray together. Father, first thing we want to do this morning is we want to lift up Eliza. Father, we thank you for bringing her across our path. God, we thank you for your body and how you work these things out. And I thank you that we get to be a part of this. Father, we just want to lift her up, lift her family up. I want to pray you sustain them, that you protect her, that you guide the, all the, the guys grabbing visas and grabbing plane tickets and all the situations, the taxi drivers, all the different things that go wrong. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will guide this, fast track it. Pray for the doctors as they operate on her. Give them wisdom, even now. We pray that the surgery is a success. And that she's able to live an awesome life, come to know you at a very early age. And be able to be a living testimony of what you can do. Father, we also just want to lift up our time in the Word this morning. Father, I think all of us, if we're honest, we've all been those prodigals before. We've all run for you. And maybe to this morning, maybe some of us are. I want to thank you that you are a God who reaches out to us too. You also, hear, you also heal spiritual hearts. Father, I pray as we enter your word this morning, if there's any distractions in us, if there's any uh, uh, stretch of just tired in us, that you remove it. Remove it from me. And help us see you this morning. Even if it's just a glimpse. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week we talked about the, the kingdom that Jesus was, talk, was talking to the people about. And he was talking about a kingdom that was not going to be only for the religious leaders or the religious elite that the society deemed worthy to receive things. But it was going to be a kingdom that was open to all people. It was going to be open to the downtrodden. It was going to be open to the outcasts. It was going to be open to the people that everyone else had rejected. And the thing of it is, when, when a guy goes around and starts teaching about a kingdom like this, that news spreads like wildfire. That news goes everywhere. In fact, when you look down at your text, I want you to look down at verse 1 in chapter 15 here. We see that Jesus attracts a crowd. And it's a diverse crowd. Take a look at verse 1 there. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So what happens here in this text is Jesus is gathered in a field or whether he's gathered in a, in a temple or he's gathered on a mountainside. Wherever the case is that Jesus is at, this place is crowded. There's a crowd gathered. And it's not just your typical church people that you might find on a Sunday morning. It's people that the world would say is far from God. It's people that the world would say would probably never darken the door of a church. It's your tax collectors, which in that day was, was a, big, a serious thing. It's your prostitutes. It's the people that the society deemed unclean. 
They've heard that there's a kingdom that is open to them. They've heard that there is a kingdom, that there is a God that is going to accept them. And they're curious. But there's a second crowd here. Inside this crowd, you see the Pharisees and the scribes are also present. The religious elite are present. What Luke makes note of here, look at verse 2, is that Luke points out that these Pharisees are grumbling. They don't want to be rubbing shoulders with these people that they've outcasted. They don't fit into their religious boxes. They don't want them near. And they start grumbling that why is there this Jesus guy willing to let these people in the door? And there's this tension. It's one of those situations where you could just hear a pin drop. And as Jesus looks out across this crowd of these two very diverse uh, people groups that mix like oil and water, my, my picture is that there's probably like, there's like a line between the two sides. They didn't want to cross paths. And as Jesus looks out across this crowd, he sees a million different stories present. He sees people who have made some not so great decisions. Some people whose broken lives have left them to some pretty not-so-great places. There's people that have grown up in the church that have had everything handed to them or had everything work out fine, but missed the point. There's people that are hungry for truth. There's people that are longing for hope. There's people that are desperate. And as he looks out, I'm sure there's a few people out there that have some fear of rejection in their eyes. See, when you boil this room down, tension is the word. Tension is the word. How many of you have been in a room before for a meeting and there's two sides in that room that want two very different things and you could feel like anything could blow that whole meeting up? Okay. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. And before anyone blows up at each other, they all look up towards the front of the room where Jesus is at, and they're hanging on his next word. They're hanging on the next thing that Jesus is going to say. And what Jesus does in this sermon is he launches into three short stories. Two really short stories and a third longer story to prove a point about the kingdom. Take a look down at your text there. Look at verse 4 with me. All this tension is here. And he told them a story, told them a parable. It says this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go to the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I just found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Which one of you, if you are a guy who tends sheep, which one of you, if you lost one of your sheep, would leave the 99 and go find that sheep? 
Because for sheep owners in that day and age, that wasn't a, a, a worthless thing for a sheep to run off. That was a valuable thing to them. That was important. They would go find it. And Jesus, says, and Jesus says there's another story just like this. Or what woman having ten silver coins. Now a coin here is not like a dime that falls into your couch cushions. This is a day's wage. This is like your grocery money, okay? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found a coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy over the angels of, before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says, which one of you, if you lost part of your salary for a, basically a, a large chunk of your salary, how many of you would go turn over every stone, every couch, every desk, every chair until you found that thing so you could pay your bills? He said, every single one of you would. And the importance of these two stories that he says here at the very beginning emphasizes the point of rejoicing over the thing that was lost and is found rather than shining a spotlight on the reason why it went lost in the first place. And I want you to notice something here in that first story is that notice the shepherd when he finds that lost sheep doesn't take it into the pen and just start beating it with the, with the stick being like, why did you leave? You dumb sheep, why did you leave? He doesn't do that. The woman doesn't take the coin and just chuck it against the wall and be like, oh my goodness, why did you get lost? They're ecstatic that the thing was found. They're ecstatic that the thing was brought home. They're ecstatic that the thing that they found value in was put in its proper place. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in this story is that they're missing the point for his entire reason of being there. See, the religious leaders of the day were interested in shining a spotlight of sin on other people, not welcoming them home. See, Jesus was calling his followers to be a lighthouse for the wayward ships in the night, not the rocks that the ships were going to crash into. The light was meant to guide them home not make them crash. And these two short stories at the very beginning set Jesus up for the story he spends the most time on and what we're going to look at the most this morning. It's a story about a lost son or two sons, as we're going to see in just a moment. Take a look down at your text there. Verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So Jesus opens up his next story, his third and final story, and he opens it up with a very shocking claim. Open a very shocking claim that there is a man that has two sons, and there's an the older son and a younger son, and both of them work with him in a family business. Not uncommon in that time. But what's uncommon and shocking is one day as they're working in the field or they're just finishing up business for the day, the younger son comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, I want you to give me my part of the inheritance right now. I want you to give you my part of the inheritance right now. And the original hearers that are listening to this would have been so astounded by what, what, what the son is asking here. Essentially, what he is asking is he is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish you were dead. 
I want the benefit of being your son. I want the benefit of having known you. But I don't want you. I want the, your stuff. But I don't want you. And I don't think we understand fully the cultural significance that's happening here. See, not only is this son being really rude to his dad, but he, this son is literally ruining the entire reputation of his father. They lived in a shame-honor culture back then, and having your house in order was one of the major things in that culture. And for a son to do this, the only cultural response for this father to save face at all would be to kick his son out of the house, kick his, strip him of his family name, and say, I am never want to see you again. You are dead to me. That's the only way the father saves face here. Word travels like wildfire like over there. So when Jesus says this, the expectation of everyone in the room, both from the sinner camp and from the religious leader camp, is that Jesus is going to kick this, this father is going to kick this son out. But there's a more shocking claim here. Even than the outburst, it says, the father divided up the property. The father divided up the property. He, took, he probably liquidated a few things. He sold some stuff. He got a big old knapsack, put a bunch of coins in it, tied it off, and handed it to this son that was rebellious. And the text continues here. Take a look down at your text. It says this, verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the, pit, the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. We see here very, very quickly, it doesn't take the son very long. He gets his stuff, he packs his things, he packs a bag, whatever, and he takes off. He runs very far from his father. It says he runs into a far country. He wants to get as far as he can from his father to live the way he wants. It's not that all that different from, from you and I when we also run from our Heavenly Father. When we, take, we think we can do life on our own and we take off and we just run as far as we can go. And what we see in the text here is that um, he, this man runs into a far country and he blows his entire inheritance, all this money that his father gave him. He blows every single last penny of it. He blows it on parties and, and hookers and bad uh, business ventures and all these different things. And at first when this guy goes off, he's loving life, right? He's like, I get to finally do what I want. I get to go do, have some fun. I get to go do all the things I've always thought about doing. He's loving life. How many of you guys, when you first like run off into sin, sometimes you're like, man, life is good right now. This is great. I've totally been there. But the text reveals something very quickly. Because as he's going off, he's searching for joy. He's searching for meaning. He's searching for hope. And he keeps transactionally going through it out of that bag of money. But then one day, he goes in for one last hit. One last piece of joy. 
The bag's empty. It's gone. He turns it inside out. He dumps it out. It's gone. There's nothing but lint in there. It's gone. It's empty. And the text says here, around the time that the money went dry, a famine hits in the land. A famine hits in the land. And not only now does he have not no money to go have fun, there is no food to even be sustaining for him. It's empty. The whole thing has turned up empty. And the text goes on to say here, and we just read a couple seconds ago, that he ends up working on a big farm taking care of pigs. Now, most of us just think of that and we're like, well, that sounds like something you might see on dirty jobs. But, again, something bigger is happening here. Pigs, according to Jewish culture, were deemed unclean, like deeply unclean. Jews weren't allowed to touch pigs. Jews weren't allowed to be near pigs. In fact, there was extra law codes that said Jews weren't allowed to work on pig farms. So what Jesus is building to here is he is saying, not only has this man lost all semblance of joy, not only has this man uh, lost all the hope he was living in by living for himself, he has also reached the very, very bottom of the barrel. If this was a movie, I picture him just kind of sitting there against the, the, the wall of the fence uh, in the pig pen, and he's covered in mud, and there's just pigs running around. He's just staring off, right? If this is a movie, I bet Tom Hanks plays him. I, think, I can see it. <laughs> he's just sitting there. Empty. Anybody been to rock bottom before? I've been there. I got the t-shirt. It's not even a good t-shirt. Okay? It wears out quick. In fact, the text goes so far to say he longed to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. He looks over. He's so hungry. He's so desperate. He's so at the end of his rope. He looks over at the pods and he's like, doesn't look half bad. Doesn't look half bad what they're eating over there. This is rock bottom. And we look back at the audience that Jesus is talking to. There are going to be two very stark different reactions that are taking place. The sinners, the tax collectors, the people that society have rejected are on the edge of their seat. They're waiting on Jesus' next word. Because if there's any character they relate to right now, it's this younger son. So like that guy at rock bottom, that guy that's at the back of everything, the guy that uh, has lost everything, that's me. That's me. I understand what's going to happen to this guy. And then you have the Pharisees who are on the other side of the stage, and they are, they are looking up at Jesus. They're sitting back in their seats, arms crossed, and they're like, this guy is getting what he deserves. I hope he dies there. Two very different reactions. And Jesus continues in the text here. Take a look down at your text. Look at verse 20. Or no, I'm sorry. Verse 17. The son says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The text says, When he came to himself, 
The phrase in the Greek literally means when he finally came to his senses or when he finally awoke from a long dream. How many of you guys have had those moments in your life where maybe you've made some poor decisions and all of a sudden you look around and you're like, what am I doing? That's what's happening. And he concocts a plan. He looks back at all of his, the slaves that work for his father and he's like, man, they have it so much better than I have it right now. Maybe I can go back to my father. I know that I can never deserve to be called his son. I know I could never take my old place back. I know I never deserved to have anything from my old life before, but maybe my dad will let me work for him as a slave and I at least will get some bread out of the deal. So he goes. He patches himself up enough. He probably puts his hands in the pig water and he kind of goes like this. He scrapes off his arms and he makes his trek. He walks. And as he walks, I'm sure he's prepping that PowerPoint presentation, right? He's got to present to his dad. He's got to present. He's got to convince his dad if his dad will even talk to him. And he goes. But then as Jesus is telling this story, the perspective shifts. The POV has so far been on the Son. Now it switches to the Father's perspective. Take a look at verse 20. It says this, And the younger man arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. See, everyone listening to this story, even the younger son, assumed that while the younger son had left, the father would have done his best to move on. The father would have done his best to just forget that younger son ever existed, try to move on, try to scrape up the remnants of his reputation and build a legacy, all of those kinds of things, but he hasn't. The text reveals that every day since, since this, this younger son left, the dad's waiting on the porch in the evening. He's standing out there on the porch, searching the horizon, waiting for this younger son to come home. And one night, when he's watching that horizon as that sun dips just below, below that horizon, he sees his son coming up the driveway. This raggedy, limping shell of a man. And what Jesus reveals he does next is even more scandalous than the fact the son came back home. It says the father ran. The father ran. Children ran. Mothers ran. Teenagers ran. Patriarchs of family didn't run. To do that, you have to lift your robes up and you can see all your little legs, right? And you can run. It was humiliating. Again, this father is humiliating himself for this son who has run away. And he says he doesn't just run to his son, he embraces his son. He kisses his son, this person that was deemed unclean. He was embracing this person and making himself unclean in the process. And the son starts right in on the PowerPoint presentation. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the, son's, the father's not hearing him. 
In fact, he turns around, he leaves the embrace, he turns to his servants, he starts barking orders. He says, verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father asked for the best robe, which would have been his own robe. The father asked for a ring, which would have been his own signet family crest ring. He asked for shoes, which would have been his own shoes. And he says, go get the fattened calf, which again seems innocuous to us. But back in that day, you didn't eat meat very often. It's way too expensive. And the fattened calf was the biggest delicacy of Jesus' day. It's only you would kill the fattened calf when you actually invited the whole village to get together and celebrate something. What this father is saying here to his wayward son, he's saying is that I am not going to wait for you to clean yourself up first. I'm not waiting for you to take a bath or even to let you try and prove yourself or try and climb the ranks again or try to build a reputation or any of these things. You're my son and I'm letting you come home. You're not the one accepting you. I am. Come home. The father is saying to his son, I am greater than all your regrets. I'm greater than all of your sin. Repent and come home. Maybe some of you in this morning feel like this wayward son a little bit. Maybe some of you feel like you've been spending some time in the far country. Maybe some of you are even coming to church right now because you're trying to clean your life up or maybe you're just trying to make yourself just a little bit better before you come to God. And what God is saying, he's like, that's not what I'm after. That's not what I'm after. He says, I'm going to clean you. I'm going to clean you. Come home. See, the whole entire message of the gospel is that you can't clean yourself. Like, that's the entire point. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, God demonstrates, present tense, His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while you were still in the pig pen, while you were still at the rock bottom, Christ died for you. While you were at rock bottom, Christ died for you. That's the point. His blood was enough. His blood was enough. See, the gospel doesn't start with your good behavior. It starts with your sin and it ends with the price he paid for you. I'll tell you, Jesus is stronger than every regret you have. He's stronger than every bond of sin on you. He's stronger than every addiction. He's stronger than every character flaw. He's stronger than every bad decision. And this morning, he welcomes you home. He welcomes you in the same way that the father in the story welcomes his son. Friends, grace reaches to you. Period. No exceptions. If you repent, believe in Jesus, 
Grace extends to you. That's it. And the text reveals to us here that they all go home and they start having this great party. But this story is also about an older son. An older son. Take a look down at your text here. An older son who has obeyed every order of his father. But a son who is just as lost as his younger brother. See, while he was in proximity to the father, he never knew the father. Take a look back down to your text here. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was, received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. So the older son here happens and he, he's heard what's happened and he's furious because he has been so close to his father in proximity but never knew him. And in fact, he's making such a scene. The father has to come out and, and try to calm him down and try and bring him back into the feast. And his father says, he came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, for these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him. See, if the younger son's issue was that he ran from God in the midst of his sin, the older son's issue that he trusted in his self-righteousness to be the source of his father's love for him. And when Jesus is pointing out in that crowd that was before him of those two sides, he turns to the Pharisees here and he says, this is the problem. They always may have done the right thing. They may have always followed the rules, but they did it based out of earning God's love rather than living in the Father's love. And the Father says to His Son here, He says, and He said to Him, Son, You are always with Me, and all that is Mine is Yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, the father is saying here to the younger son, I am greater than all your regrets. Come home. The father is saying to the older son, I am greater than all of your successes. Come home. And that's where Jesus ends the story. It ends with the younger son entering into the joy of his father, and it ends with the older son sitting outside the party, deciding if he's ever going to go in. And we're left unknown, unsure of what decision he makes. There's no sequel, right? Tom Hanks could have come back. There was no sequel. We don't know if he turns his back on his father or if he steps into his father's love, not out of the basis of his own works, but out of his father's character. And maybe you're here today and you identify with that older brother. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I've just always done the right thing. Any rule followers in the room? I'm a rule follower. I'm an older brother oftentimes. I was raised in a very Christian household. I had amazing parents, still have amazing parents. I'm forever thankful for the, the upbringing they gave me. But if I can be honest, I lived a lot of my, most of probably the first 18 years of my life as an older brother. 
I did the right thing. I read God's word. I went to church. I did all the right stuff. But I never did it out of God's love for me. I did it to earn it. I want to tell you that life is exhausting. That life is exhausting. And church, I want to tell you, if you try and live your Christian walk like that, you're never going to find what you're looking for. Just like the younger son wasn't going to find what he was looking for in the way he was living, you're not going to find what you're looking for either. Because all that it produces is looking on in judgment of other people. Because not only are you judging yourself for how you're not measuring up to those standards, you're going to hold everyone else to those same standards. And that's the problem that the Pharisees were dealing with. Because they couldn't accept God's love for themselves, they could not give it to other people. And that's what God's calling them away from. Not to a love that's earned, but that's based out of God's character. And that rejoices with what is found. Church, the gospel is for all sons. Wayward sons or moral sons. But it's something we must step into. I'm going to pray for us, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you that you are a God who brings us home. You call us you call the wayward, you call the moral. And I pray for any of us in this room today that maybe we feel like we're running from you or maybe we feel like we've been trying to earn your affections. That we're able to step into the love that's based off your character. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.